This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey guys, this is Lane here with the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast. I got Marco Santarelli on the line. How's it going, Marco? Great, Lane. How are you? Doing good. So you are the owner and CEO and founder and everything for Nevada Real Estate. Yes, sir. Yeah, I started the company about 13 years ago. Tell us a little bit about yourself, um, how much simple passive cash flow are you making today and how you're doing it? So I'm in the five-figure range. You know, my goal is to get that up to 100000 plus per month. I'm on track to do that. I expect to be there in about two years, conservatively five, but, you know, I'm planning for two. And, you know, it's it's divided up amongst business income and real estate income, like passive income. I've, I've dabbled in other investments too, you know, options, oil and gas and precious metals. But, you know, things things like that don't necessarily produce a lot of income. When the price of oil is low, they cap the wells. And so you really don't make any passive income from it. And as you know, commodities and precious metals don't generate cash flow. So they just sit there and collect dust. But really, you know, if you look at where the greatest wealth is generated, it's from businesses and from rental real estate or income producing real estate. So if you got the business, which is the B quadrant, and then you're an investor too, what would you say is the percentage split between the two? It's roughly 50-50. And when you get to your goal, are you going to be, you're trying to get to a 75-25 split or what's the goal there? It's it's hard for me to forecast that right now because I'm growing my real estate portfolio, which increases my income. But at the same time, I'm also spending time and energy building the business. And so that income increases I don't know if they're, they're going to actually grow in lockstep with each other. I mean, I hope they do. But but my expectation is that my business income will increase fast, more and faster in the short term. And then as the years go by, the uh, income from the uh, real estate will kick in and, and grow faster. I mean, that's typically what happens because as time goes on, you know, you increase your rents. And if you're restructuring your financing on your properties, you'll lower your debt service and that increases your cash flow too. You always need to be pruning your portfolio, not just buy and hold forever. Yeah. You always look at it. Well, what you should do is look at it every year and rebalance your portfolio. Look at what you have going on in terms of business income, passive income, and you know what you have in terms of your real estate portfolio and analyze it and just see, is it on track? Is it doing what you want to do? If you have something that's underperforming or low yield or taking up your time, and it's not really giving you the rate of return that you want for the amount of time or capital invested, then you divest yourself from it and you redeploy those funds into higher producing assets for greater yield. So you mentioned you're going after the $100,000 mark a month. I've been doing a bunch of these podcasts and that number comes up quite frequently that in the $20,000 a month. Kind of take us back to, you know, a lot of people that are listening, they're kind of at a few thousand dollars, definitely on their way. What are the kind of checkpoints that you can think back the 5,000, the 10,000, 20,000? Give us a little bit of advice on the path up to a hundred grand a month. That saying, how do you eat an elephant? Well, it's one bite at a time. It's very, very difficult to go from zero to 60 instantly. Everybody starts somewhere and then builds it up. And it's usually a stair-stepping process. The cool thing about staying focused on any one investment class or or business is that growth looks slow and feels slow in the beginning but as the years go by it starts to accelerate you see this 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 exponential growth if you will everybody starts with their first property whether it's a single family home or a duplex or a fourplex 
everybody starts with one. And then, you know, you, you get the capacity to build, buy a second one and a third one and a fourth. And sometimes you do them in parallel. You, you do two at a time. But it's, it looks slow and feels slow in the beginning. After about five years and then after seven years and then after 10 years, you look back and you see that, okay, I've been doing one or two properties a year or maybe more. And there's a snowball effect. Your cash flow starts to increase. Your net worth starts to increase because of the equity in the properties. Now you can start to redeploy that equity by pulling it out, you know, 1031 exchanges to buy larger properties. And there's really no black and white milestones along the way. But what you will find is that you just continually stack on top of your previous success. There's really no secret. That's just the way you do it. And if you need to accelerate it, uh, sometimes what you can do is buy larger properties by partnering up with other people or doing a syndication. You know, if, if you've got the, the time and the experience and some capital or some knowledge or the credit, uh, whatever you could bring to the table, sometimes you can do larger deals by pooling a group of investors together. Now, you know, it's kind of like springboarding into, you know, 50 or 100 doors at one time. But that's not for everybody. So I'm going to ask you the Han Solo moment question. So for okay. those of you guys who don't know what this is, the Han Solo and his buddy Chewbacca from Star Wars were cruising the galaxy as little life smugglers, but then crossed paths with the right people and their lives took a pivot point. Describe the point where your life took that same pivot point and you change and kind of got to where you are today. That's a hard question because I think there are different points uh, along my life's timeline where I saw kind of the writing on the wall. I think the first one was long, long ago when I was 13, I was coding. I was actually, I taught myself assembly language and I was writing code to create a game back in the Pac-Man days. And I ran out of memory on my computer, so I couldn't actually finish the game. But I realized then and there that, you know, I, I was very tenacious and persistent and I wanted to create a, a commercial or marketable product. Um, but I've, I've always felt entrepreneurial whenever I saw an infomercial on TV, it always intrigued me. I bought some of those programs, even, even as a, as a teenager, not even an adult. But then when I turned 18, this was a major, I think, milestone in my life is I purchased a property, a townhome that I bought, renovated, leased, managed, and eventually sold as soon as I could qualify for financing. And that was at the age of 18. Uh, my biggest regret with that, by the way, is is having sold it. I should have never have sold that property, but I didn't know any better. You know, I, I made some some good gains on it and I sold it for a nice profit. But, you know, that's capital gains. But that $40,000-ish property back then today is worth in the neighborhood of $400,000. I would have owned that free and clear by now. It would have been a great equity play with some pretty strong cash flow. But that that would have been... Probably the one of the first major Han Solo moments is just realizing that, hey, I love real estate. It's fun. It's profitable. Um, I have a knack for it. And really, anybody can do it. There's nothing overly complicated about it. It's just rolling up your sleeves and learning what you need to do and then going out and actually doing it. I think that's kind of funny how you said that you were that entrepreneur type and as a kid. I think when I was about 14, I sold these lollipops that I made, just melted sugar and just sold it for crazy profits. So Nice. That's great. I mean, it doesn't matter what you do. The fact is, you know, that was your lemonade stand and, you know, that's how you started. But the point is, is you created something, you sold something and you made a profit on something. You got started in real estate, but where was the point where you decided to take your entrepreneur spirit and build this business? I had, uh, you know, 
got my real estate license shortly thereafter. Um, I, so I was selling real estate and I was still buying a little bit of real estate here and there. The major turning point was in 2003. Back then, real estate really started to take off and you know it was in the media a lot. So it seemed like everybody, including the taxi driver, was a quote unquote real estate investor. Reality is most of those people were real estate speculators. You know, they were buying and holding property for a short period of time and then flipping it and, you know, taking those capital gains and calling that investing. It really wasn't investing. You know, they were it was like day trading stocks. But needless to say, there were a lot of opportunities and, and money was readily available. So access to capital to finance these real estate acquisitions was not that difficult. And in 2003, I had taken a couple of years off after being involved in a, I'll just call it a dot-com failure. Um, the stock market had crashed and you know VC capital had dried up. So I took some time off and I didn't rush into anything, but I got an email around the middle of 2003 from Robert Allen's group. Uh, Robert Allen's a famous author. He's one of the godfathers on creative real estate financing and nothing down real estate, probably authored about 20 books, but he had an organization back then called the Enlightened Millionaire Institute, EMI, which they rebranded to EWI, the Enlightened Wealth Institute. So they had this free seminar coming up in September of 2003. It was up in uh, the northern part of Orange County, California. So I thought, well, you know what? I'm interested in real estate. I've always liked it. I'll go check it out. So I went there. And it was a two and a half day event, started on a Friday and went through to Sunday. But there was about 1,500, if not 2,000 people at this event. And it was in, being held in a major ballroom. And the speaker was phenomenal. He had people riveted to their seats. The information was fast flowing, powerful, and very eye-opening. And, and, and people just were in love with the concept of investing in real estate. But, you know, the event was free. So obviously there was something to sell at the back of the room. And what that was was you know, these very expensive boot camps that were being held around the country. And they started at $15,000 and they went up to $35,000. And that was just for the boot camp alone. You still had to pay for your travel and your accommodation. So it was more, much more than what you were paying for at that point in time. But what was amazing is people, a lot of people were whipping out their credit cards during the course of that two and a half day event and running to the back of the room and signing up for these boot camps. I, it's not that I got caught up in the, uh, you know, the excitement or the euphoria, but I just thought, you know, th this would be good and entertaining and fun and educational to do. So I signed up as well. The, the reason that was such a major turning, turning point is because in the process of going on these boot camps, I met literally hundreds of investors, you know, or wannabe investors from around the country. Shortly after I, I started taking these boot camps, I got back into real estate investing mode or acquisition mode, and I was buying properties rather quickly. In fact, over the course of about two years, 04, 05, I had accumulated 82 or 84 doors. I can't remember exactly how many it was, but it was 80, about 82 doors. And so I had purchased a lot of real estate. But as I was going, investors were coming up to me saying, hey, Marco, you know, where did you find your deal and how did you analyze it? And, and can you show me, you know, how you've done this or can you help me find the deal? And that's when the light bulb went off and I realized, geez, there's a lot of investors out there who really want to invest. They may not necessarily want to learn everything about real estate, but they need help. And that's really where Norada Real Estate Investments was born is just from other people wanting the help and looking to invest, but not sure how to pull the trigger. So I just wanted to hold their hand and take them through the process and provide them a quote unquote turnkey solution 
that they can just take and use right away. It's pretty interesting that that you know you actually signed up for that seminar. I mean, I I usually tell people don't sign up for anything more than a few grand. I mean, it's not really that worth it. You can get it through mentorship or online. I guess the one interesting thing was like those boot camps. You had to get on a plane and go to them. So the the peer groups you were with, I mean, they were pretty higher caliber. Somebody was definitely interested and bought into it. So that was some value there, I'm sure. You don't need to be too smart when you have credit. You know, you you can you can eat spend credit from a credit card very easily and blow it very quick. The reality is, is I'd say out of, out of 10 people, maybe one of them took action and did something, you know, they bought and rehabbed the property, wholesaled the property, purchased the property and held it in their portfolio. Like people did do things, they did get involved, but it was the minority. I mean, we're talking like 10% of the people that went through these boot camps actually did something. So it was a very general boot camp. It wasn't like buy and hold or apartments or flipping. It's actually pretty specific. There was one boot camp on apartments. There was one on on uh, wholesaling and lease options. There was one on just general real estate concepts and the whole mental game and the philosophy. You know, believe it or not, it was quite varied. The information was good. The content and, and the variety of topics was good. But the problem was, is that it was too much information. It was like drinking from a fire hydrant when you went to all these boot camps. It's like, oh, geez, I got a whole smorgasbord or menu of things that I could potentially do to get involved in real estate. Now, where do I start? For me, at the end of the day, the ultimate way to be a real estate investor is to is to just accumulate properties that pay you cash flow every month. If you can build that up, whether it's single family homes or fourplexes or or small apartments, you know, if you have an asset that generates cash flow every month, guess what? You now have income. And if you build up enough of that income, now you can get out of the rat race. Now you can become financially free. That's the key. So your worst life and business moment, and what do you do after? Well, that's a pretty broad question. I'm, I'm a pretty optimistic person, and I, I'm an opportunist. I'm always looking for opportunity. I don't know. I, I My worst business moment probably was there are some properties that I purchased that I, I shouldn't have purchased, and, and I have to blame myself because I didn't do enough research and due diligence. It, it was a painful experience, but now – Having learned from that experience, I can now share that with our clients, our investors, and and talk about it and write about it. You know, it's become part of our system, our company's in process and system. You know, now purchasing property out of state is a piece of cake. I mean, I, I you know, I walk and sleep it. It's just once you once you know what to do and what to look for, it becomes infinitely easier. And it really isn't rocket science, by the way. Um, it, it's pretty simple. Yeah, probably buying some not so good properties in bad neighborhoods. Uh, was were my biggest mistakes real estate wise? Were these out of state properties that you were remote to? Almost everything I've purchased from the state of California has been out of state. There were only there was only one property that I that I actually purchased and kept as a rental in in Southern California. But you have to understand that was back in 1999 when prices were somewhat realistic and somewhat affordable. But in the into the 2000s, property values throughout California, mostly in the coastal states, have just shot through the roof and have become astronomically, you know, unreasonable, unre- unrealistic. Right. So now, I mean, the listeners listening and just thinking, oh, don't buy the wrong property. But what was the lesson learned here? What can they gain from your experience? 
two things, and I know this is going to be sounding oversimplified, and it's almost like a, you know, a duh moment where, you know, what do you mean you didn't do that? I just took it for granted that what I was being presented by my real estate agent, who I trusted at the time, I eventually, she eventually ended up ripping me off um, to the tune of thousands of dollars of stolen rents that she was collecting for me. So that's another story. But I I came to trust my real estate agent to the point where I wasn't inspecting the properties, whether by myself or through an inspector. And I I started buying properties through her that had a lot of deferred maintenance issues. And so that was, that became, it wasn't at the time, but it became a very, very expensive problem because now I had, I was replacing heaters and roofs and all kinds of stuff. And so these now became, you know, the proverbial money pits um, that you, you know, you hear about. The other mistake was taking the neighborhood that the properties are in too lightly. Now I put a lot of emphasis on the type of neighborhood that that investment properties are in, whether for myself or for for our investor clients. So we grade neighborhoods as A, B, C, or D. Um, and in fact, they go from A plus down through to D. And we you know, have a, a metric or an algorithm that we use to, to loosely grade those. For me personally, I like the B plus, A minus type neighborhoods. But back then I was buying knowingly and unknowingly, I was buying in what I'll call C minus neighborhoods. The numbers were great. They were very affordable homes. The rents were high. So the rent to value ratios were very high, making them very attractive but those those returns are all on paper. You know, you could look at pro forma numbers and say, "Wow, that that that's an awesome deal." But when you start to look at the neighborhood and you start to consider who your customer is, meaning the type of demographic of tenant that you have in these neighborhoods, that changes the picture. It changes the story because when you're dealing with a certain type of demographic, you can find you, you will find that you'll have more problems. You'll have more frequent turnovers, turnovers being very expensive. You'll have more late rents, missed payments, uh, more evictions, more damage to the property. And so when you pick and choose the neighborhood, you have to first put in your mind, what is my criteria? Who's the type of tenant that I want to service? In other words, who is my customer? And I like to break it down this way. Do you want a Macy's tenant? Do you want a, Wal- a Walmart tenant? Or do you want a Nordstrom's tenant? For me, I particularly like what I lovingly call a Macy's tenant. You know, I, I like to be in those, you know, working class neighborhoods like the upper blue collar and the professional white collar type neighborhoods. I just find those tenants have stable jobs. They have stability. They actually care about the property, even though they, they're renting it. They treat it as if they're, you know, it's their own, their own home. But I, I completely bypassed all that in, in the beginning I just went right for the numbers and I said, I don't care about the neighborhood. Just, you know, give me the best cash flow, highest rate of return type of property you can show me. And I made the mistake of buying those properties. Some of them were great, but a lot of them caused me a lot of grief. Totally agree with you there. I mean, a lot of the newbies that come to me, they want that 2%, 1.5% rent-to-value ratio, the C-class properties. But yep. I personally always went with the B-plus properties for the, the reasons you mentioned. But I need to optimize my 10 Fannie Mae loans, which are you know finite. 
And yeah. when you get these $50,000, $60,000 properties, first of all, a lender's not going to really want to lend even work with you because it's not even worth their time. And the closing costs on these things are so high. I mean, title costs is going to be $500 on a $50,000 property or a $100,000 property. A lot of these costs right. are kind of fixed. So many yeah. reasons why I stick with the B plus, like how you say. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's – a, most of the time, that's a smart decision, you know, because your your closing costs don't scale with the uh, price of the property. There, you know, you have certain fixed costs. So you end up with a better quality tenant, a better quality property that has more appreciation potential in the end anyway. So I think long term, it's a better decision. So what is your simple passive cash flow number that you're trying to hit? And imagine you had two times that. Describe your ideal day and detailed routine and what projects you'd be working on. Number was the 100,000 plus that we were talking about before. That's... I mean, that's that's just a, a personal goal. That's my target. So that's the simple passive cash flow number. So imagine you had two times that, definitely surpassed that amount. Now, what would your be, ideal day be? I mean, what would you be doing at that point? You can only spend so much money per month or per year. So at some point, you know, your income gets to a point where incremental va- incremental increases don't change your lifestyle that much. It's not like I, you know, I want to go out and buy a bigger house or anything like that. Or I might travel more, but I would probably continue doing, in fact, I'm sure I would continue doing what I'm doing. I would probably spend more time increasing and scaling up the business than what I'm doing right now. Um, but I would hire people to help me do that. You know, I like helping other real estate investors. You know, I love looking at real estate and finding new markets and, and all that good stuff. So I would I would just do more of what I'm doing now. Uh, but I would probably travel more, spend more time with the family, just in other words, taking more time off, give back to the community more. You know, I'm, my friend and I are looking at some projects right now um, that we just call community outreach projects. Yeah, I would just do more of the same. I would just kind of ramp it up but take more time off. There's something you have recently thought about burning your cash on for a time savings or an improvement in quality of life. What's on your shopping list? Well, I've done it. I've actually hired uh, an assistant slash transaction coordinator. And uh, that's taken some of the workload off my shoulders. And, and you know, it's it, it was a very wise investment. So, I mean, that's that was a smart thing to do is, is you have to, everybody needs to look at their time and say, what is my time worth? And you have to put a dollar figure on it. And if you're doing stuff that is way below your so-called pay grade, then you shouldn't be doing it. You should get someone who does that for a living or as a hobby and pay them to do it because now you can focus on you know, the uh, more important things, the higher priority things, the stuff that produces more wealth and more income. And you know, I think a lot of people learn that lesson, but they learn it late. What does something like that cost? Well, it depends on what they're doing. Um, I mean, you can you can go you know a la, the a la cheap mode if you want, and and you know hire a virtual assistant. A lot of people have VAs that are in the Philippines or you know some of these other low wage countries, and you can hire a virtual assistant for you know four hundred, five hundred a month, six hundred a month. And, you know, they, they can work even full time for you, but you can hire these people to do, you know, social media or writing tasks or just basic administrative stuff. Pretty amazing what they can do actually. So that's the low end. But if you want to hire someone locally, meaning, you know, within the United States domestically here, it varies, you know, it can go from, it could start from a, you know, $2,500 a month on up. Just depends on, you know, how many hours they're working and what they're doing for you. So does Marco clean his own house? No. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I actually do. I, I'm the one who does the yard work and uh, I clean the pool. 
uh, you know, I do the stuff around the house and I do uh, the, the dusting and vacuuming from time to time in the house. But, you know, I, my wife's great. You know, she she spends time at home with my daughter. We homeschool my daughter. So there's time invested there with, you know, meals in the house and my daughter. So that's a full-time job in itself. Yeah. So when is the pool going to get cleaned by somebody else? I mean, what at what point? <laughs> I, I thought about that, Lane. You know what? I, I actually have chosen to just keep doing it myself because it gives me an excuse to get outside in the sun and get some exercise. So I, I just simply put on my earbuds and I listen to some audio, uh, not not necessarily music, but I'll, I'll listen to, you know, audio books and, and the news and I'll, um, you know, I'll get some physical activity. So it, it actually, I'm, I feel like I'm killing two birds with one stone. Uh, I get my physical activity in and educate myself. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the formula there. If it, you get some sort of enjoyment or education or... <laughs> I mean, you, yeah. can, you can be listening to the same audio on the Lazy Boy at home. <laughs> yeah, but then you're not really accomplishing anything. You're just you're, you're doing nothing other than listening to something. I'd rather go for a walk. You know, it's just I feel better when I'm doing two things at once. Not that I'm trying to multitask per se, but if I'm exercising, doing yard work, or, or I'm going for a walk and listening to an audio book, I'm doing two things at once. So for me, I feel more productive that way. So the next question here is the Tony Robbins question. So Tony Robbins identifies two large concepts that we're continually struggling to gain perfection in. The first is the art of fulfillment, and the second is the science of achievement. So if you die tomorrow, and I were to email mm. this to your kids a couple of decades later, at that point, they would actually listen to what you would say. What's your secret hack to the first science of achievement? Any secret habits to share? Well, the science of achievement is how do you produce results? I think one of the keys or the secrets there is to realize that almost anything you want to do has probably been done before. And if that's true, then what you need to do to shortcut your path to reach your goals or, or that level of success is find the people that have done what you want to do and model yourself after them or learn from them. You know, if, if you can bring them on as a mentor, that's great. But more often than not, that's not possible. So what you do is you educate yourself. You know, you, you buy the books that talk about what it is you're trying to do or learn. There's a lot of free resources online. You find the information and you learn from the people who have been successful. You know, if you want to be one of the best value investors out there, then you learn from Warren Buffett. If you, you know, if you want to uh, become a very successful real estate investor, then align yourself and learn from people who've already done it. The science of achievement is just is just really knowing that the information's out there and you can produce the same results as other people that have done it before. What are your thoughts on Tim Ferriss says this a lot where and he's trying to learn something like rock climbing, but he's not going to go to the one lanky dude who's good at rock climbing. He's going to go to the super small Asian girl and, and learn from her. Why does he do that? Because <laughs> the, um, you know, the lanky dude has all the physical compensation to, to do what he's doing good. You know, it's like learning basketball from Michael Jordan. Oh, I see. Or you could so, learn from, uh, you know, someone who doesn't have all the physical skills but has able to get the complete package to compete on the same level. And so I guess what he's trying to discover is the secrets that this other person has learned to overcome their shortcomings in order to achieve the same result. Is that right? Right. Because you're not all outliers. Well, I guess that's a that's not a bad strategy. You know, if I I think of a bell curve. You know, I'm going to learn more from the people who have been successful that sit sit in the middle of the bell curve because there's more of them. If I'm seeking out the outliers, they may be harder to find. 
I may learn the same thing. I may learn, I may learn something unique, but if they're hard to find, then, you know, you're creating a new challenge for yourself. So I don't know, I'd probably start in the middle of the bell curve and start with the people who achieved those goals and that level of success. And that's the low hanging fruit. And then I'll learn, you know, kind of those more advanced or fringe type of techniques and strategies from those outliers. I guess that would that would be my approach. So don't hit up Robert Kiyosaki with an email first thing. Go to go to your local investing <laughs> club or hop online and find other investors and network. Do both. I mean, Robert Kiyosaki, you don't have to find Robert Kiyosaki. He's written books, you know, you can learn what he's teaching from his existing material. What is your uh, secret or hack to the art of fulfillment? How do you contribute back? The art of fulfillment. Well, I guess that comes down to enjoying your life and everything you do and just appreciating what you have and and what you're creating. I, I think the secret there is to just find what you love to do and do it. You know, sometimes there's a separation between doing what you like and, and being able to make a living. But if you can do what you enjoy and make a living at the same time, then I think you're you're getting the best of both worlds. You have a level of enjoyment at a deep level that's not only fulfilling, but you can sustain yourself. I think I, I, I searched for a long time going from one business to another, you know, one career to another uh, before I came full circle back to real estate and realizing, yeah, this is what I, I really like and enjoy and like to do. And, and it also is a vehicle for me to give back to people by showing them how to be successful financially and otherwise, time-wise, with, with something that I enjoy. So when you are passionate about something, you know, it doesn't become work. It, it, it becomes um, fun. It becomes a hobby. It's the, the hours go by and you're not looking at the clock waiting for five o'clock to punch that clock and, and go home and do whatever you need to do. You know, your life is your work and your work is your life and, and it fulfills you at every level. How are you contributing back these days? What's your uh, community outreach you guys are doing? There's always charity and we're constantly giving things to the VA um, organization. Right now, my friend who I've known for 20 years and I are working on a a new business venture, which is uh, very complicated to get into on a short podcast, but there is a community outreach component to it where we are going to be working with schools, possibly churches and possibly hospitals where they can grow their own locally grown hydroponic organic foods these are you know greens leafy greens herbs microgreens at most of these are at a fraction of the cost of what you'd be able to buy it for at the store but it's not just about cost savings it's about the fact that it's fresh organic and locally grown and this becomes a fundraiser a perpetual year-round fundraiser for any school so um it's pretty exciting. There is an investment opportunity tied in with this because it's something that we are actively growing and launching. There's an equity opportunity and there is a debt opportunity, meaning a note where you get monthly cash flow. Uh, we've kind of opened both of those channels up to investors who are interested. But like I said, it, it this is this is like a whole podcast episode in itself. To answer your question, there is a very significant community outreach component to this because we're educating students, we're educating kids uh, and even teenagers on what health and nutrition really is and where food comes from and, and what it means to be healthy and eat well. And that's a grassroots level type of endeavor because they take it home to, you know, to their parents and then the parents are learning from the kids. And 
everybody kind of feeds off of that. Anyway, it's it's pretty exciting. There's there's a lot more to it. Uh, that's just tip of the iceberg, but you know that's our way to educate, indoctrinate, and help change lives through education and nutrition. You know, I think it's interesting about that too. Is that you're doing it with the people you like and you're kind of your friend. Yeah, well, he, he's he's actually an expert in this whole health and wellness and nutrition field. He's been involved in that for a long, long, long time. And so it was just a natural extension to what he's already doing in certain vertical industries. Um, this is just taking it to another level in another direction. It's, it's, it's fun. It's been a lot of fun. And we're, we're, we're getting a lot of interest. So Yeah, something I've been thinking of lately is it doesn't matter what you're doing, whether it's investing in apartments, assisted living facilities, coffee farms, or coconuts. Yeah. It's just, you know, do it with the people you like and it's fun along the way. I mean, it's a part of the journey. Also do it with people you want to be hanging out with. Yeah, exactly. All right, Marco. So anything uh, we missed that you wanted to get out there? Want to leave your contact information for people to get a hold of you? Kind of a parting thought is that we uh kind of fortunate when, when prospective real estate investors call our office and talk to our investment counselors, you know, they're, they're, they're actively thinking about their financial future and they want to get involved in real estate because they know it can generate cash flow and wealth and it'll provide time freedom and financial freedom for them and their families and their heirs and so on. Most people, you know, take action. Most people actually call us, talk to us, educate themselves, and then eventually start, you know, going down the road of building that real estate portfolio. But for people who are sitting on the fence or thinking about it or the direction I need to go, my to you is this. One is get get off that fence and and start taking some action. And what that means is this, educate yourself. It's It's really my first rule of successful investing and more specifically successful real estate investing, you have to build knowledge. And so do that in any way and every way you possibly can, you know, whether it's through books, podcasts, seminars, real estate clubs, um, other successful people like, you know, that you could call mentors, but educate yourself and then get off the fence and take action. Start buying, you know, that first property because it becomes infinitely easier after you get that first property under your belt. Number two becomes much easier. Number three becomes infinitely easier. And then all of a sudden you're on this, you know, this, this track where you're actually doing it and you're making a difference and, and you're improving your life. So that's really the thing I, I want people to think about is, is you can think about it and it's a wish or you can do it and it becomes a goal and then you ultimately achieve it. That's a 70, 20, 10 rule. The 70% is doing it. Only yeah, 10% is. is that book. Yeah, you can think it all day long, but it won't end up changing anything. It's not until you actually put the rubber to the road, as they say, and, and make it happen. You know, Tony Robbins actually has a great saying. It's it's in those moments of decision that you change the destiny of your life. And so you need to make that decision and take action. The best two things I can give are, are the two websites uh, because all the information – is there. There's tons of free information, but all our contact information is, is on the, the two websites. And the first one is our core website where we have all our rental properties, our investment properties around the country. And that's noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A, noradarealestate.com. And then our, our, our sister website is the podcast website, which is passiverealestateinvesting.com. Kind of sounds like your podcast. <laughs> but yeah, just PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. I'm trying to work off SEO that you created. Oh, gee, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what is the imitation is a form of flattery, huh? Yeah, it is. It is for sure. I've had a lot of flattery over the last 13 years. I've, 
I've not intentionally, but created uh, a fair amount of my my own competition. But anyway, I, it is what it is. The saying is, dude's got a podcast, so he must know what he's talking about, right? You'd think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's fun. I love doing the podcast. All right, Marco. Well, thanks the second time doing this. Well, thanks for the invite, Lane. I, I've had fun and maybe we'll do this again. Thank you. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself, because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.